Hey everyone, welcome to the Better Bible Reading Podcast with Kevin Morse. I'm excited to continue along in the year 2022 with all of you. We have hopefully uh, talked about some things that have really made a difference in your life and your Bible reading so far. And this episode, I trust, will be no different. I'm trying to really put myself in scenarios when I think about the kind of episodes to make for this year of helping somebody that is struggling with Bible reading consistency or maybe dealing with some questions like, where should I start reading in the Bible? What book should I start with? That's actually going to be the question we're going to deal with on this episode. Now, you might be saying, well, I am already in the middle of a Bible reading plan. I'm actually doing pretty good, so why should I care what this episode has to say? Well, it's because I'm not only going to give an answer of one book of the Bible out of 66 that you should start with, but I'm going to help you think through this question in a way that I hope by the time we're done gives you a greater appreciation of the Bible as a whole all 66 books, and you can understand maybe the way that they fit together and understand somewhat of the organization of the Bible. And hopefully, if that is the case, then you will thank the Lord for giving us 66 books to um, study and to appreciate and to uh, really grab a hold of year after year in our own reading and study projects that we have going on. All right, so I'm trying to accomplish a lot with this episode, but hopefully I'll be able to answer this for you in a way uh, that deals with the problem of not knowing what book of the Bible you should start with, as well as, if you already have an answer to that, appreciating the big ideas that should really be bound up with that question. So, let's deal with this in a way that I think should be uh, helpful to us. I trust it will be. So often happens somebody is a new believer, and maybe you don't become a new believer on January 1st, so you're not in the middle of a Bible reading plan. Um, You understand that the book of Genesis is the first book that you come to in the Bible, but you read that there's such a thing as the Old Testament as well as the New Testament, and so you don't know if it's right to start where the category is called old, When you have a category called new, should you just start in the new? And if so, does it matter which book? Or if you're witnessing to somebody that doesn't have any concept of the Old Testament, you are a Christian, and you're trying to help them understand Christianity, do you recommend they start in Genesis, or do you pick a different book? This is that scenario that seems to come up a lot. And in my estimation, most of the answers that I hear to that question, what book of the Bible should I start with, is normally the Gospel of John in the New Testament. I actually can't even tell you how many times I've heard different people recommend that book as the starting point. And I can understand why, because if you want people to understand Christianity, you want them to understand Jesus. And so you want to get them straight to a book that explicitly talks about Jesus. John is appreciated because of the depth of analysis that he gives, while at the same time being so readable, so easy to follow, and doesn't even seem to uh, 
intertwine so much of the Old Testament, at least explicitly, as a book like Matthew, or is not as descriptive as a book like Luke, or is not as fast-paced as a book like Mark, where you feel like you're drinking from a fire hose at times. So, people tend to recommend a book like the Gospel of John as just being the best of, of, of all categories, really, uh, for a new believer, as well as if you're trying to start fresh with your own Bible study, you've recently become uh, interested in what the Bible has to say, and you want to know where should I start, people are going to recommend the, the Gospel of John. Now, here's, here's uh, the first thing that we should think about, though, in answering this question. I'm not going to deal with whether or not John is the right choice right now. We'll get to that in a minute. But the first principle that we should deal with when it comes to what book of the Bible should I start with is this that there is no wrong answer. Now, that might sound like a cop-out answer <laughs> to say there is no wrong answer, but what I mean is God has given us 66 books of the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, and Scripture says that all Scripture is God-breathed. All Scripture, Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy, all Scripture is God-breathed and profitable, profitable for teaching, profitable for rebuke, profitable for exhortation, profitable for training and equipping people in godly living. Now, because that really gets us to the idea of the Bible as God-breathed, which means it's, it's God's Word to us. Yes, humans are the ones that wrote it, but it is divinely inspired. It is not just somebody like Paul or somebody like Isaiah or somebody like Moses doing their best to try to uh, capture for us something of what God is like or something of what God wants us to do in our own lives. Now, this is something that is a condescending word. In other words, it is God himself who condescends, who stoops down to human level, human agency, human circumstances, human means of communication, and speaks to us, but without compromising truth, without compromising his character, without compromising himself to cultural or uh, even scientific norms, which means that God's word is always true. It's not just true in one sense. It is without error. It is infallible. It is not in need of changing. Now, that means if we take what the Bible says about itself, if you will, what Scripture says about Scripture, that it is God-breathed and all of it is therefore profitable, that means that we, as recipients of this Word, cannot go wrong by choosing any book of the Bible to read. It's not as if you uh, will make a bad choice if you decide you're going to start with Ezra, or you decide you're going to start with the book of Revelation. Now. Not every book of the Bible is as equally clear because they are not 66 books of totally uh, disconnected fortune cookie sayings, right? They're given in a, in a historical and literary context, which means that God gave us 66, not just one, not just 13, not just 25. God gave us the entire Bible, and therefore we need the entire Bible. But it is to say 
that regardless of what book you pick, it's not a bad choice. Okay, so hopefully, if you're struggling with which book to start reading, let me just encourage you by saying, first and foremost, there is not a wrong answer. If all scripture is beneficial for us, then any book in that regard is a good choice for you to read. Uh, We can get so wrapped up and even stressed out about developing the perfect Bible reading plan or having the perfect kind of system of study, whereas we need to remember that all of these books are God's gift to us uh, as he reveals himself to us, as he uh, reveals what his will is for our lives. all of this is bound up in the Bible, and so pick any book of the Bible and you will not go wrong. You may have to deal with some historical or some literary issues, but uh, the big idea is there's no wrong answer. But that really moves me to the second point that I want to make, and that is while all Scripture is God-breathed, and while we can't make a wrong choice what we need to do when we start thinking about the Bible is appreciate the connection of all of the different genres. We could really say that opening up our Bible and going to something like the Table of Contents, like I have my Bible open to the Table of Contents right now. I see all uh, Old Testament books and New Testament books laid out for me. I see what page they're on. Now, what this Bible doesn't say, which I have taken the liberty to do on my own by writing out brackets on the page, what this Bible doesn't say is which books belong to which genre. This is so crucial, and it's something that for uh, many of us we overlook or we've just simply never been told, that the Bible, while it is generally speaking chronological from Genesis to Revelation, it is arranged for us not in chronological order per se, but it is arranged for us according to genre. Let me just break these down for you so that you understand what I'm getting at. So you start in the Old Testament, you got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Those first five books are often called the Torah or the Pentateuch or the books of Moses. They're called the books of Moses because they are uh, attributed historically, and I believe this is right, to Moses as the author. Now, the idea is that even though Moses wasn't alive during the time of the book of Genesis, that when God took him up to Mount Sinai and gave him the law, he also recorded uh, creation history, which is what's comprised of Genesis, as well as the rest of the content we see from Exodus to Deuteronomy. Historically, this was the uh, belief of the church that Moses is the author of these first five books, and therefore they are the books of Moses. They're called the Pentateuch because it takes that penta, meaning five, as the first five books, and it's called the Torah because it is understood as the law of God, the five books that that present and situate and give the law of God to God's people. And so call it the Torah, call it the Pentateuch, call it the books of Moses, all 
three of those options are conveying the same idea, but that is a genre in and of itself. So if you want to understand what is happening in Exodus, what's happening in Deuteronomy, what's happening in Genesis, you need to understand it in that context. While they are individual books, they're not in isolation. They're not disconnected from each other. And so if we can situate those five books in that category, in that genre, uh, then we can understand part of what their purpose is, part of what's going to happen in there, part of what the theme might be. And that can help you uh, make your decision of whether you're using a Bible reading plan or if you just want to know a little bit more about the book, understanding that it belongs to that genre, any of those five books, is going to tell you something about that book, and it'll be uh, constructive for that reason. So imagine, really, that when you open up the Bible, you have walked into a library. The Bible really is arranged as a library. You have the different genres. And so that first one that you come to is the Pentateuch. So the second one, which spans from the book of Joshua all the way to Esther, is what's normally called either uh, the writings, some people like to call them, or I prefer the historical books. This is really the history of Israel, and what kicks off this history of Israel is the death of Moses. Joshua is the man who takes over after Moses dies, and the history of Israel, how Israel is comprised after Moses gets them to the brink of the promised land, Joshua then takes them into the promised land, and then you have the development of Israel as a formal nation throughout the land of Canaan, and everything begins to sprout out from there. Now, that history really takes us through a whole bunch of generations by the time you go through Joshua, Judges, Ruth, and then the books of Samuel, Kings, and Chronicles. You have all the way to Israel being built up as a nation. You eventually have David uh, become king after Saul, the first king. And then you have really the pinnacle of life under the reign of Solomon, and then everything starts to uh, die down. Things start to get stale. <laughs> Things, The poison starts to spread through the veins, if you will, as God's people turn their back on him. And eventually, you have exile happen. Uh, the people of Israel are exiled from the land. They're, they're overpowered by the Assyrians. They're overpowered by the Babylonians, and they go into exile. So really you have from Joshua all the way to the book of Esther, you have that happening. So eventually that's really where the end of Israel's history goes. Now what's fascinating about these historical books is you can see how they tie into the books of Moses, the first five, as well as the prophets. And we'll get to the prophets in just a minute, but I've skipped... Uh, by talking about the historical writings, let's talk about what comes next, and that is from Job through Song of Solomon. These are normally called uh, the books of poetry or the wisdom literature. Now, these books, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon, are all going to be more poetic. They're going to be uh, written in a way that's quite different from the rest of what we've seen so far in the Old Testament. 
and they span really in the entire range of Old Testament history. Most people assume that Job was alive during the time of the events in the book of Genesis. Uh, it's unclear whether he was, but it is certainly clear that he predates uh, the events of books like Nehemiah and Ezra. And then you get to Psalms, which is written by a variety of people, Proverbs written almost exclusively by Solomon, Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon written by Solomon. So you have uh, kind of a wide range of chronological placement in those books, but they really help to tell uh, the story in a unique way of what's happening in the life of God's people. And then finally, the last genre that we have in the Old Testament are the prophets. Uh, the prophets, uh, called both the major and minor prophets, are really helpful, and they're probably the most confusing of all of the genres because we tend to not know what in the world they're talking about. They are so uh, disassociated from uh, what we think is happening or whatever the case may be because we tend to read them in isolation from the Old Testament story. One of the best things that you can know about the prophets is that what they are writing about takes place alongside what we read in those historical books, Joshua through Esther, especially uh, Kings and Chronicles. These prophets, uh, some uh, longer than others, certainly, uh, but as a whole, they are speaking on behalf of God. And sometimes we get the privilege of reading, like in the book of Kings, uh, prophets are called by name such as Isaiah, who functions as, as a key character, or even Jonah. And when that happens, we need to kind of pay special attention, because it tells us, when we're reading a book like Isaiah, or Jonah, or uh, Zephaniah, or something like that, it tells us what historical context they're writing about. So that means that we can start to plug and play these prophets in that historical account from Joshua all the way to Esther. So now we have a historical context to link them into, and we can start to understand why they're saying the things that they are, and how the things that they're talking about actually come to pass in, in the history of God's people. All right, so really the Old Testament, it's not just 39 random books, Genesis to Malachi, uh, that just seem to communicate things a little bit differently from one another. Really, they are comprised of genres. The books of Moses, the historical writings, the wisdom literature, and the prophetic writings. All of these are linked together, but they are all unique genres. Um, and we need to appreciate that so that while it is true that we can read any of them, it's also true that reading any of them necessarily links us to the rest of the books. So, our first point, all scriptures God-breathed, so therefore there's no wrong book to use, also gives way to the second point, that since no book is the wrong answer, but all books are connected, that all books should be the right answer. So we could say it this way, we should read anything and we can read anything, but we should also read everything. <laughs> so, 
It's not a question of which book you start with as much as it is of how many books you eventually get to. I hope that makes sense. We could say it this way, there's 66 books in the Bible, so therefore God wants us to read all 66 books. You could start with any of them you want to, there's not a wrong one, but because he's given us all of them, we should read all of them. That's really what I want you to understand here. The New Testament is a little bit more simple in this regard because uh, I tend to say that there's three uh, genres. Uh, you could argue that there's only two, but really what we have are the Gospels or the Gospel narratives because they are very uh, narrative in nature. You could say Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but you could also include in the book of Acts because Acts is really the Gospels part two, and Acts written by Luke is his second part of his entire composition of the Gospel of Luke part one, the book of Acts part two. So those kind of go together. So we could really lump in the book of Acts in that uh, kind of uh, genre of gospel narratives, because while the book of Acts is not a gospel, it is the rest of the story, if you will, of the Gospel of Luke. So we could include them all in that. Uh, the second genre are the epistles, which is really just a fancy way of saying letters. This is really what you have throughout the entire rest of the New Testament from Romans all the way to Jude. Now, I've stopped short of the book of Revelation, and that's why uh, the reason for that is because the book of Revelation, we could say, is an epistle. It is a letter. In fact, it's a, a communication to at least seven churches because you have the seven churches uh, addressed explicitly in the beginning of the book. However, the rest of the book shifts after chapter three to what we could call apocalyptic literature. In some sense, the book of Revelation is its own genre for that reason, because it is uh, somewhat unique to all of the other books in the New Testament, and we could even say to all of the other books of the Bible. But it's also related to all of the books in the Bible because Revelation features almost uh, every single thing that you could find in any of the other genres. Um, Revelation alludes to the Old Testament, or directly cites the Old Testament more than any other book in the Bible. And the book of Revelation picks up on literary qualities that almost every other genre in the Bible does. So you have some narrative features, you certainly have some prophetic features, you have some uh, more of uh, epistle or letter-oriented sections, such as uh, the first two chapters, or first three chapters in the book. And so you really have a mixed bag of everything in the book of Revelation. So really we could say that there's the gospel narratives, Matthew through Acts, the epistles, Romans through Jude, and Revelation is in a class by itself as apocalyptic literature. The thing about the New Testament epistles, uh, because really to lump in Romans all the way through Jude as being of the same genre could get a little confusing because there's so much variety there. And you could really organize it uh, by subgenres if you wanted to. 
Romans all the way through the book of Philemon are called the letters of the Apostle Paul. This is because all of those books have an explicit uh, address given, uh, name of the Apostle Paul, Paul, Apostle of Jesus Christ. And so all of these have really his uh, signature, if you will, uh, claiming authorship. Some people, when they get to the book of Hebrews, don't know for sure um, who wrote it, but will say it was probably Paul. The fact is, we don't know because it doesn't say. So the book of Hebrews really does have uh, kind of an author without a name. Uh, so you could really make your best guess of who you think it is, um, but we're going to say that it's in a class by itself because it doesn't have uh, an author's name on it. Then you get to James, which is pretty self-explanatory. James is the author. First and Second Peter, again, pretty self-explanatory. Uh, Peter's the author. First, second, and third John, again, it's in the name. And then the book of Jude, again, it's in the name. So uh, really what you have in these letters are not chronological arrangements, but again, it's genre-oriented. It's, it's distinguished here based on the author. So in these epistles, you have first the letters of Paul, then you have uh, the letter to the Hebrews, again, unknown author, and then James' letter, Peter's two letters, John's three letters, and Jude's letter. And then finally you get to the book of Revelation, which is, uh, again, written by John. So you have almost a, a distinction in the New Testament, the way that the books are arranged. They're arranged by author, um, not necessarily by chronological order, because uh, it is understood that you have some of the earliest writings in the book of Galatians or First Thessalonians or James, and then you get into issues of dating, and that's another issue for another time. We won't deal with that now. But the big idea with all of these books is to help you understand somewhat of how we can situate them. If you can understand where they fit in God's master plan of 66 books given to us, which we call the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, then you can appreciate the way they function. You can also appreciate the way they relate to other books and other genres. So you understand why it is. Uh, that the Old Testament might be quoted in a particular genre more than a different one. You understand what function uh, this book is making in the Old Testament versus this book in the New Testament. It's not a question of which one is more important. It's a question of what is its unique purpose. And when we know that, we can more greatly appreciate what it is that God is doing as he communicates this particular uh, message in this book to his people, and we can receive it with gladness. Okay, so the name of this episode is What Book of the Bible Should I Start With? So I'm not going to leave you on a cliffhanger and say I have no answer, but I am going to maybe frustrate you by saying I don't have one book, I have six books. <laughs> and that's just because I have rendered things down to three books in the Old and three books in the New Testament. So I want to be clear with this. This is not a desert island scenario of which book of the Bible would you go with if you could only have one. The name of this episode 
is what book of the Bible should I start with? Starting with a book of the Bible implies that you're going to get to the rest of them, okay? So please don't hear this as my Kevin's rendered down version of the Bible. Here's six books you need and the rest of them you don't need. That's not what I'm doing here. I'm just picking six books that I think are going to be especially helpful to you in your journey to understand the entirety of the Bible, which is hopefully a journey that all of us are on as Christians and disciples of Jesus Christ. Okay, so I have three in the Old Testament, three in the New Testament, and I'll tell you why I've chosen these, but here's the three of each. In the Old Testament, my picks are Genesis, Psalms, and Isaiah. New Testament, the Gospel of John, the Book of Romans, and the Book of Revelation. In these six books, I think they all have key features that can help us, and I'll tell you how they really connect uh, together. The book of Genesis, it's not wrong to start with the first book that we have in our Bible, um, just because we might not have a good understanding of what's happening in the Old Testament, because we're not Jewish or because we weren't raised in a uh, church home, so we have no context. Uh, You need to remember that every single person at one point in their life had no context of the Bible. So you have to start somewhere, and if God starts things off in the book of Genesis, we shouldn't assume there's some reason that we aren't allowed to do that. Uh, We should take what he has given us in the book of Genesis as the first book of the Bible as a helpful and worthy book to begin in. I don't think we need to develop this mindset that uh, because we live after the time of Christ, we therefore must start in the New Testament and only at some other point in our lives finally make our way back to the Old Testament. I think that is uh, bad logic. So, the book of Genesis, for the reason that it's uh, the book the Bible starts with, as well as for the reason that it is utilized again and again in the New Testament, okay? So, really, that's why I have picked all three of these books, Genesis, Psalms, and Isaiah, as my three picks for the Old Testament. It's not only because I tried to hit different genres. Notice Genesis is a narrative. Psalms is part of wisdom literature, and Isaiah is the prophetic. Um, Not only because you get a mix of different genres, but because these three books are among the most three quoted in the New Testament. Genesis is quoted again and again. Psalms quoted again and again. Isaiah quoted again and again. Um, These are books that carry over into the New Testament in a very uh, front and forward-facing way, not mingling in the backdrop somewhere. They are right front and center in the New Testament arguments that are being made, Genesis, Psalms, and Isaiah. So we need to really be familiar with these three books. Uh, Genesis has so much to teach us about God and his purposes, his love, his uh, grace towards us. Psalms, Martin Luther called a little Bible because the themes and the range of what's communicated to us in the Psalms is almost like a miniature version of what we see from Genesis to Revelation. The book of Isaiah is almost the same way. It's interesting 
uh, the book of Isaiah, 66 chapters. Now, the chapters are not part of the uh, divine uh, inspired uh, virtue of Isaiah. Chapters are just there uh, placed after the fact uh, by scribes and by uh, translators to help us uh, just have a frame of reference for uh, where we're trying to get to in the book. Same thing can be said about verses. These are later editions. But it is interesting that the book of Isaiah has 66 chapters. Uh, the first 39 chapters are what we might call the bad news or God's indictment to his people. And then when you get to chapter 40 is when you start to have a whole lot of messianic prophecies. God's comfort to his people. Uh, the good news, if you will. Um, almost mirroring what we see in the Bible as a whole. The first 39 books are the Old Testament, and the 40th book of the Bible is the first book in the New Testament. So you see that kind of an interesting way that, that the book of Isaiah also serves as this kind of grand uh, communication about uh, God's uh, purpose of redemption throughout history. Even the end of the book of Isaiah talks about the new heavens and new earth, so really it is that kind of still uh, range of all things uh, in God's purposes. So Genesis, Psalms, and Isaiah, uh, if you want to know where in the world to start in the Old Testament and you're not going to just work your way from Genesis to Malachi, read Genesis, Psalms, and Isaiah, and you'll get a bird's-eye view of what's going on, and then you can go back and read the rest. All right, so uh, final point in the New Testament, which three books? Well, I mentioned John, Romans, and Revelation. John, as I said before, is that book that people tend to say, start with this book. I'm fine with that. I think that's a great choice. Uh, if you go back to a previous episode, I'll put a link on this video where I interviewed my pastor because we spent about a, a year and a half going through the Gospel of John in uh, his sermons on Sunday morning. We talked about uh, all of the things that, that he as a preacher and me as a member of the congregation uh, took away from our study in the Gospel of John. So if you want to have a uh, great uh, incentive to read the Gospel of John, go back and check out that episode. We talk about a whole lot of things to look out for and to appreciate in that book. Uh, but also, John is helpful because even though there's not direct quotations from the Old Testament, you still can see the way that John alludes to so many things in the Old Testament that Jesus is the fulfillment of. So we have a gospel here. We have the gospel of John. So it's the life of Christ. We have uh, his perfect life. We have his death on the cross as a sinless man. We have his burial. We have his resurrection from the dead. And we have his victory on behalf of God's people in all the aspects of his life as the great uh, Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So we have a whole bunch of themes, in, even in a phrase like the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, that points back to the Old Testament. Uh, we'll get a good understanding of that from books like Genesis, Psalms, and Isaiah. So you can kind of see this uh, synergy that I've uh, tried to create here between the two. So if the Gospels are really serving to uh, interpret and bring to light what we see in the Old Testament, what is the function of the epistles or the letters? 
Uh, well, it's to really do two things. It's to do the same thing with the Old Testament, but also to interpret the events of the life of Christ. So the Gospels interpret the Old Testament. The Epistles interpret the Old Testament in light of the Gospels. And then in light of that, what do we make of it? So it goes almost a step further. There are so many good choices. I mean, again, there's not a bad choice, right? Any of these books. Uh, but Romans, because Paul does a whole lot in Romans, uh, really Romans is a rehearsal of all of the Bible. Uh, it's no accident that when we get to a book like Romans, Paul bases so much of his argument off of, you guessed it, Genesis, Psalms, and Isaiah. Sixteen chapters jam-packed with content, both of what we're to make of the Old Testament as well as what we're to make of the life of Christ uh, linked to what we're to make of the Old Testament. This is really what the epistles are doing. Uh, you'll notice the way in which Paul wraps all of these things together in a glorious way, and I think the book of Romans is such a profound choice. I mean, you look throughout the uh, history of the church, of, of the uh, life changers uh, that have been converted from the book of Romans, think of like Augustine and others, uh, Luther, uh, so many of these men uh, really changed the world because of their uh, interaction with the book of Romans. But the book of Romans is so significant because of its interaction with the Old Testament, Genesis, Psalms, and Isaiah in particular. Finally, we get to the book of Revelation, and this is maybe an interesting choice because some people might not say that Revelation is a worthy book to begin in. In fact, many people are very intimidated with the book of Revelation because there's so many, so many things there that we don't understand. We're trying to figure out what kind of genre is it, how literal or not literal is it, uh, what exactly is taking place and what we're reading. And so people get a little intimidated, people get confused, people give up, or they just take somebody else's word for it and don't do their own study. But Revelation is unique, uh, number one, because uh, situating it with the Gospel of John, I'm trying to bring some kind of continuity with the author and his style of writing. So if you know a little bit about John from his Gospel, his way of writing, you can see some of that carry over into the book of Revelation, so you have uh, some frame of reference. But what else is fascinating about the book of Revelation is how much it depends upon the Old Testament. Again, I mentioned earlier that uh, it utilizes the Old Testament more than any other book in the New Testament. However, it really emphasizes uh, much of its content from the prophets. So you're going to see a lot from Daniel. You're going to see some from uh, Ezekiel and Jeremiah. But I think probably the most uh, pronounced uh, Old Testament uh, content that's used in Revelation is actually from Isaiah. So again, in all three of these options, John, Romans, and Revelation, they're using Genesis, Psalms, and Isaiah. And so that's why I'm saying use Genesis, Psalms, and Isaiah as your first three books in the Old Testament. Use John, Romans, and Revelation for your first three books in the New Testament. Now, these are only six out of the 66 books that we have in our Bible. So these are books to start with. These are not your 
Ultimate Rendered Down Bible. These are books to start with if you're interested in something other than following along from Matthew to Revelation or Genesis to Malachi. If you want to mix things up, if you want a different Bible reading plan, if you want to read the entire Bible but you want to be brought up to speed as quickly as possible, then these are the six that I would recommend that you start with. You can choose any of them. Uh, you don't have to start with the old. You can start with the new or vice versa. And I think you can go a long way, hopefully. And maybe if you feel a burden to make up for lost time, these will really help you out. But notice what I want you to understand is that the Old Testament and the New Testament are not in isolation to one another. They're also not competing with one another. God is working throughout history, and he's revealing himself and his purposes for his people, and he chooses to do so beginning in the book of Revelation, or beginning in the book of Genesis, and he chooses to bring all of that uh, to culmination in the book of Revelation. God wants us to appreciate all that he communicates to us, and that means appreciating all 66 books of the Bible, all the genres that we have in the Bible, both the Old and the New Testament. There's not a wrong choice. All Scripture is God-breathed and profitable for us. But understanding what's happening, understanding the way that these interact with each other will help us to love his word more, will help us to appreciate it, will help us to understand the sense of what's being said. All right, so hopefully this really helps you out, regardless of where you find yourself in this whole equation that we've been talking about. I hope that you have some great uh, kind of action steps to take going forward. And be on the lookout, by the way, if you're just a listener on the podcast, be on the lookout over on the YouTube channel. I've been doing Bible reviews this year. I've been uh, communicating with you some different uh, active reading approaches I've been taking such as the journaling Bible, the wide margin Bible. And I'll have some more videos coming up very soon of some other options for active reading. And then I'm also going to share some other Bibles that aren't for writing in, but for reading and utilizing more of what we might call a passive approach to reading. So don't think negative when you hear passive, just think reading without writing. All right, so we'll deal with that uh, very soon. Be on the lookout on the YouTube channel. I uh, highly encourage you to go over and subscribe on there. We're growing uh, slowly and steadily, so I'm really excited about that. Uh, and if you are a listener or a watcher, but you haven't made your way over to betterbiblereading.com, I encourage you to do so because there you can find a free course on how to read the Bible. I go over a whole lot of considerations like translations, types of Bibles, what to do with particular passages, and that is my gift to you. It will always be free. It's on there to help you really jumpstart or even renovate your Bible reading process. So go over to betterbiblereading.com forward slash free class. You can create an account and enroll immediately and work at your own pace going through the videos and the material that's on there. All right, so thank you so much for being with me for another episode of the Better Bible Reading Podcast. And I'll see you on another episode real soon. Take care.